The Guardian. It's a good move. It is a good move. It just, it's a time for it. We are already tired from occupation and I think we do have a right for it. I hope no one is standing against it. And that's what they should did a long time ago. Because right now, if we go there to the UN, at least we could take the Israelis to the court, to the war court, to the crime court. We could do something. Should have thought of that 40 years ago when we had a war and we kicked our ass. We earned it, we fought wars, we lost thousands of soldiers, thousands of people, and it's our land that was promised to us. We have it, you know, we have this even, that we have places set aside in our country that the Arabs could live peacefully, nobody bothers them. You'll never see anybody going and initiating any violence towards them, and I just feel like they should not try to do the same to us. We're letting them live peacefully. We should just keep it like that. Some views on the streets of Ramallah and Jerusalem, as the Palestinian Authority prepares to ask the United Nations to recognize its statehood. President Obama has already said this will be rebuffed by the United States, and therefore the Security Council, but the Palestinians are sure to get a majority vote in the General Assembly, meaning they will be upgraded to observer status. But is recognition by the UN the best way to achieve peace in the region, or a step backwards? The United States is against to Palestinian people. That's, that's the whole thing. It's all they're talking about in the markets, the streets and in the hairdressers of Ramallah. This time it is good and you see the Arabic country, uh, one country uh, continue the others. So maybe it is uh, the good time in this time. I think the people are going to tire from being their land occupied, their, their refugees in their own country. They cannot, they're in big prison, that's all they think. But the Israelis are not going to give nothing. Israels, they're more take and take, not give nothing. It just, put it as example, my town from here, it's seven minutes. But because of, they closed the, the road, because they want the settlers to have their own roads, and we don't have the right for it. So we have from it's only seven minutes. I'm supposed to now drive 45 minutes just to get home. So, like everybody thinks we should go to New York and they should recognize uh, Palestine in the United Nations. He's looking forward to it, but hopefully there will be change. He said, uh, what's happening in the Middle East, in Egypt, Tunisia, Libya, it's, uh, it's a good thing for, for, for Abu Mazen. It's, it's the right time for Abu Mazen to go to New York, and, and it's going to help the Palestinians. Uh, my name is Simon Makhlouf. I am the executive director of One Voice Palestine Movement. September vote for Palestinians means hope. And I don't really agree with uh, what some Israeli politicians say, that this is a unilateral action that, and it's an alternative to negotiations. Um, after 20 years of uh, useless negotiations, the Palestinians reached a conclusion that the international community should be uh, part of setting the references for this, these negotiations because the reason why these negotiations did not produce any tangible outcome or did not end the conflict because every time the Palestinians are asked to compromise the compromised. 
So uh, the September vote does not at all contradict with the basic concept that we all advocate for, which is negotiations. And I think that the Palestinians are also intending that they will go back to, uh, to the negotiation table. Abu Mazen and the Palestinian leaders clearly said that this uh, this will this is never uh, an alternative for negotiations and he said like our first second and third option are negotiations so they will come back to negotiate they don't let us live here they don't want us here why should we let them you know they blow up people kids and that's like what's wrong now we're in jerusalem where there's a great deal of trepidation I think they make a mistake. They uh, they breaking the uh, Oslo agreement, and when they break the Oslo agreement, we can break it also. They, will, they don't want peace if they go to the United Nations. I think that everyone can live the best that they want. Doesn't matter what goes around around you. But if anyone tries to steal my country from me, I'll kick his ass. Everywhere that there are Jews right now, Israelis, it's ours. It's like every other country that just uh, took over. Like America did it to, like every big country did it. So I think it's ours. Why should they take it? Uh, I don't think that they should take our country. I think they can get another country and move to there. I consider that the Jewish country, not the Palestinian country, and I think that should stay that way. All the world, I have to understand it. Israeli state, there is. Nothing will change it. We can manage, we can try to make peace and everything, but Israeli state will stay in Israel forever. Because uh, we have already have the problem when we didn't have any, any state. My name is uh, Shaul Ariely. I'm uh, a retired colonel from the Israeli IDF. Today I'm a board member of the Council for Peace and Security and steering committee member of Geneva Initiative. Until the international community added by United States or the United Nations impose Israel or find the formula how to resume the, the negotiation between Israel and PLO. Until then, we will see escalation on the ground. So the best position to keep the Israeli interest is by renewing the negotiation under Obama speech parameters. But without any steps taken by external players, I believe that they will start with non-violent demonstration, but it very fast become a violence because, you know, even any response from the Israeli forces or because of uh, pushing this by Hamas or by Jihad or by uh, uh, others because they want to keep the momentum and to keep the Palestinian issue on the table. The Palestinian strategy divides opinion everywhere. Let's hear both sides of the argument. Putting the yes case, the Guardian's Jonathan Friedland. There's certainly a debate you could have over whether this question of Palestinian recognition and statehood should even have come up. And that question particularly because if there is a yes vote, there may be some disappointment that it doesn't deliver too much tangible uh, and on the ground for Palestinians. But now that we are where we are and that the question is going to be put, I think the answer has to be yes. And I think so for three uh, main reasons. The first one is a yes vote to a Palestinian state on more or less the 67 
uh, territories, the borders left over uh, after the 1967 war, if you like, in those territories occupied by Israel since 1967, a recognition of that Palestinian state will automatically, de facto, uh, entrench from the highest body in the world the two-state solution. It will be the international community coming together to say the way we see this uh, age-old conundrum of Palestine is that there is a Palestinian state in what we would call the post-1967 territories, and therefore, by implication, alongside it is the state of Israel. The other two reasons relate to just imagining the day after a rejection or rebuff from the world community. If that happens, there'll be two very bad consequences. The first, if you imagine on the Palestinian street, if you like, among Palestinian public opinion, there is a debate going on in that society about what is the best way to advance their goals. Is it through armed resistance, as the advocates would call it, or is it through democracy, non-violence, international diplomacy? Now, there could be nothing more uh, emblematic of the second of those two routes than going to the United Nations and, and looking for that blessing. If that is rebuffed in some way, then I think it will look as if, well, look, the peaceful, non-violent, diplomatic route doesn't work. It's been snubbed by the world community. And the advocates of violence will be able to say, our path is better. The second day after scenario I look at is what would happen inside Israel itself. Right now you have uh, an Israeli government, very intransigent uh, uh, Israeli government, that is looking uh, uh, as if it's under siege in some way. It is under fire for having lost alliances with the Egyptians and the Turks. The, there's pressure on the Prime Minister Netanyahu. If he, who's been campaigning so strongly for a no vote, is able to say, look, they did what I wanted, we've got the big no vote, he would suddenly go from zero to hero. The path of stubborn, rejectionist intransigence will be seen to have been given a thumbs up by the world community. And putting the no case is Mehdi Hassan, senior politics editor at The New Statesman. I have been supporting the Palestinian cause of self-determination for all of my adult life. Uh, but I do worry uh, that this unilateral uh, initiative to go to the United Nations and demand uh, this symbolic but actually fictional statehood uh, will at best be a distraction from the real struggle for self-determination, for freedom from occupation, freedom from killing, the right of return, uh, the right to independence and liberation. It'll be distraction at best and at worst it will actually undermine those rights uh, by actually disenfranchising and delegitimizing the majority of Palestinians who don't actually live in the occupied territories in West Bank and Gaza. There are nine million Palestinians in the world today. The majority live uh, in the diaspora. They live abroad as refugees in Jordan, uh, in Lebanon, in Syria, uh, here in the West. Uh, and they are represented by the PLO, by the Palestine Liberation Organization, which already has observer status at the United Nations. It's had it since 1974. It's been able to call Security Council debates since 1976. I'm not quite sure why they want to risk those rights, the right of return in particular under UN Resolution 194, which is an integral human right guaranteed uh, both by that UN Resolution and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, jeopardize those rights uh, by 
asking for a state uh, which won't have any control over its own territory, uh, which will be run by people who only represent uh, the Palestinians of West Bank and Gaza, and which won't actually advance the Palestinian struggle for freedom or protect Palestine in any international arena. This idea that statehood uh, is some kind of protection uh, from Israeli depredation, from Israeli colonialism is absurd. Syria is a state, and yet the Golan Heights have been occupied by Israel since 1967. The the fact that Syria is a UN state, a member of the General Assembly, has not protected Syrian land in any way. It's not even real uh, statehood. In the words of the Palestinian blogger Ali Abu Nima, it's a charade. It's a, a make-believe state because they have no borders. They have no control over land. They have no control over airspace or their security assets. Uh, and this is just a last-ditch attempt uh, by a failed Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, whose term expired over two years ago to try and prop himself up, to try and get one last gasp attempt uh, for recognition of Palestinian rights, because everything else he's tried has failed. So, strong views on the ground and strong arguments for and against. And I'm now joined by Brian Whitaker, for seven years a Middle East correspondent on The Guardian and now an editor on our section Comment is Free. And down the line we have The Guardian's Jerusalem correspondent Harriet Sherwood and Washington correspondent Chris McGreal. Welcome to all of you. Um, Brian, uh, the Security Council, we know, won't pass um, uh, the Palestinians' request because of the US veto, but a majority vote in the General Assembly is likely to go through. Is that a poor second? Well, what we don't really know at the moment is where this is heading. You know, there are a lot of stories flying around at the moment, and the situation is clearly very fluid. Uh, the, the Palestinians' preference seems to be to go to the Security Council, but also I think there's a lot of haggling over the next few days to be done behind the scenes about forms of words and what exactly this would mean. So with the um, Palestinians being upgraded to observer status, and that seems to be the most likely outcome, uh, what rights will that give them that they don't already have? Well, I think you have to look at the, this is actually an exercise on paper. In a way, we're talking about a sort of virtual state at the UN rather than an actual state on the ground in uh, Palestine. And so, as far as I'm concerned, this is partly uh, sort of fantasy land. That, uh, the real question is how, how much closer it brings uh, us to a real solution in the region. Harriet, um, this is obviously a fluid situation. What, what are you hearing as the current state of play? I think there's pretty um, much a diplomatic maelstrom going on here in Jerusalem. We've seen this week um, a whole procession of uh, uh, envoy envoys coming through, Catherine Ashton, Tony Blair, Dennis Ross, David Hale, all of whom have had meetings with both the Israeli leadership and the Palestinian leadership. And um, Brian's absolutely right to say the situation is fluid. It's changing all the time. Every person you speak to uh, gives you a different account. But I think that there is now an, a, 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 a keenness on the behalf of the Israelis to try and find a way out of this situation. Um, and they are, I think, engaging now seriously in um, discussions to find a formula that can avoid what they call a train wreck in New York. Um, as for the Palestinians, my impression is that at the moment they're pretty robust. I mean, I think they've got the wind in their sails, that they're uh, uh, pretty adamant that they're going to go ahead with, as Brian says, submitting their application to the Security Council. Um, and uh, we'll see. I mean, it may be that they do um, 
you know, succumb to the very, very intense pressure they're under um, from all quarters to, to compromise in some way in the next few days. It's a pretty high-risk strategy even for them, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, do they recognise that, do you think? I think they do. I mean, I think that they uh, know that there will be quite serious consequences if they go ahead with this. There's all sorts of threats um, from both the Israelis and the Palestinians. Um, Congress uh, is talking about withholding funds to the Palestinian Authority. The Israelis are talking, I mean, there's some quite kind of strong talk here from, from senior ministers about annexing settlements, uh, withholding tax revenues, which would cause the Palestinian Authority to collapse, and tearing up previous agreements. Um, so I think the stakes are pretty high. If, um, Chris, if the car wreck happens, it will be in, the, the, in America. Um, they must be terribly worried about that and, and the diplomatic position that, that this puts them in. Well, the Americans have made quite clear that they will veto this, um, even if they're uh, the only vote against it. Now, that diplomatically is extremely embarrassing for the Americans, particularly uh, in the Arab world and in a changing Arab world. So they're, right now they've got, they've got two um, two areas of pressure, one of which is the short term, is to try and um, win as many votes against it, uh, against a Palestinian resolution as they can inside the Security Council. They're putting pressure on European and some um, African countries to abstain rather than vote in support of. And the other is to uh, try and get peace talks off the ground again, um, even if it's only in name. Um, Susan Rice, the American ambassador to the UN, has uh, last night said um, said that she um, uh, that that was an area they were concentrating on. That they, their feeling is that the only way forward is that uh, is with talks, and that a vote, even if the Palestinians win it, won't create um, won't create a Palestinian state. Won't even create the illusion of a Palestinian state. But Brian, just having the vote at all um, with, in the Security Council becomes damaging, doesn't it? Because inevitably uh, the US has to vote against it um, and then degrades its ability to act as honest broker later. If there is a veto. But uh, I think you also have to remember that the United States has used its veto in connection with Israel and Palestine dozens of times in the past. So this doesn't come as a complete surprise. Uh, though I think it's fairly clear that it will do some damage to America's reputation within the region. Harriet, even within Israel itself, it does seem that, uh, that, that opinions are split as to how best to proceed. Some people think that it would be a disaster um, if, if uh, statehood were bestowed, and some people think, well, it might, uh, it might help us in some strategic way. Um, yes, I mean, I think that, that Israel is feeling um, very beleaguered and isolated at the moment, uh, not just because or even mainly because of the, uh, the Palestinian approach to the UN, but because of its difficulties with um, uh, Turkey and Egypt in particular. Um, so I think there is a kind of sense of um, we're all alone in the world um, and uh, world opinion is against us. Um, so, um, but I should say that there are, uh, you know, a number of Israelis who I speak to who say our government's overreacting, um, that actually the kind of grown-up thing to do would be to say, yes, we also, we Netanyahu has said, he's on record as saying, we want two states, let's, uh, let, let's endorse the Palestinian states. I mean, there is a kind of range of opinion. And Brian, Palestinians themselves, they're very split too, aren't they? Because you have um, the, the, the wider diaspora that don't particularly want the authority to, to, to um, get uh, state, statehood recognition and feel that they'll be disenfranchised by that. Uh, this is true, but again, I think there's there's always a mismatch between things on paper and and the reality, and that um, 
the people, the Palestinians in the diaspora have been uh, marginalised politically for a long time now. But doesn't it mean that you know, many people, well, millions of people perhaps, uh, won't, won't be able to, to make the claim, uh, won't be able to go home? But uh, this has been the case for a number of years, that, uh, you know, Israel has not been accepting that, uh, that idea of uh, right of return. Chris, why, why are the Americans so cross? Is it because they had um, a plan of their own that, uh, that, that this would run counter to? Because a general feeling seems to be that they were out of ideas and that uh, maybe this might be a way to, kick, to get things kick-started. It's mostly to do with American domestic politics. Um, quite revealingly, one of the things that the American ambassador to the UN, Susan Rice, did yesterday was to meet Jewish American leaders in New York to reassure them that Obama wouldn't give any ground on this. Um, Obama's being uh, attacked domestically uh, for um, for having let this happen in the first place, partly because a year ago he addressed the General Assembly and said he hoped to welcome a Palestinian state to the UN uh, as an independent country um, at about this time. Um, his Republican opponents have said that is what caused uh, the Palestinians to launch this bid. Um, he's domestically, by his opponents, and in fact by some of his uh, own party, been accused of um, being too, uh, uh, too soft on the Palestinians, putting too much daylight between America and its uh, pretty solid relationship with Israel, um, of pressuring the um, Israelis too much. And that's had um, a political cost for him at home, um, there's an election looming next year, and um, he's got an eye very firmly on that, uh, part of which was demonstrated by a congressional election just held in New York um, in, a, in a, a district that um, has a large Jewish population, and the Democrat lost very heavily to the Republican, and definitely Obama's policy on Israel was uh, a part of that defeat. And Chris, do you get any sense of what the talk is actually at the United Nations itself, where, what, uh, where the blocks are forming and what they're saying? Well, um, at the moment, um, given that the major major players aren't actually gathered right now at the UN um, in uh, uh, in New York, um, they're only beginning to arrive next week. Um, but the amb- various ambassadors there uh, are basically presenting their government's positions. I think most of most of the hard work is being done elsewhere. Um, uh, European Union, um, the Quartet, and to some degree the Americans, although because the Americans have staked out such a firm position, they've rather taken themselves um, out of the picture on, on some elements of this, uh, particularly the wording of the resolution, which they're now insisting um, they are not prepared to, uh, to negotiate about. And Brian, it's said that 120 countries from 193 could back the uh, Palestinians in mm-hmm. the General Assembly. Does that matter to America? I mean, the, those numbers seem overwhelming, but will it really resonate? The General Assembly is never taken very seriously in, in terms of this sort of high global politics. You know, there have been lots of uh, resolutions from the General Assembly in the past relating to Israel, uh, which have basically been ignored, and I think that would be the case this time as well. And talk to me about Europe, because um, the, uh, Kathy Ashton, the, the foreign minister, seems to be, uh, I think she's doing a tour and she's trying to come up with various formulas that might uh, defuse the situation. Is anyone really listening to her? Well, it's not clear whether she's acting individually or on behalf of uh, the other countries, whether she's keeping them in the loop as much as they would like. So, again, this is all rather confusing until we uh, actually see some, some words written on paper. 
And if I could just say so, if I could just say something here. I mean, I think that the um, the for the Israelis, the European vote is quite important. I mean, I don't know about. Um, uh, you know, I mean, Kathy Ashton is, is, is here, as I said, with a lot of other people. But they do, they, although they have basically conceded that they will lose the, if it comes to a vote at the General Assembly, they will lose it. They are very keen to be able to claim what they describe as a moral minority of um, high quality countries. And Europe is a real battleground for them. They really, really want to have the big European countries um, uh, in their camp. And of course, Europe is split at the moment, um, and uh, they're, they're very anxious about what, in particular, Britain and France will do next week. Harriet, those people who are promising um, the, the possibility of uh, negotiations very soon afterwards, if, if we don't uh, confer full statehood um, to the Palestinians, you will get negotiations and you'll get them very quickly. Are people really in a position to, uh, to, to promise that, or isn't it more complicated than that? I think the promise of negotiations very soon will be met with, uh, you know, very loud, hollow laughter here. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've been here many, many times before. You have to remember that negotiations have been going on for, you know, in 20 years uh, since Oslo to try and reach a, um, uh, a solution to this. That last year we were assured that there would be face-to-face -face negotiations, um, which, uh, you know, would would bring about a resolution. Uh, within 12 months, they broke down within a matter of days, um, and there's been no negotiations since then. I mean, I think the Palestinians are deeply sceptical about uh, the Israelis, um, uh, whether they're genuine in wanting to really come to an agreement. Um, I mean, obviously, the Israelis also say that they have no partner for peace. Um, but, you know, I think that you cannot overestimate the extent of um, scepticism about the whole process of negotiations in this part of the world. Chris, do you get any sense that the Obama administration is geared up to go quickly uh, and, and, and be involved or to mediate in, in some, some proper substantive talks? Well, they've been geared up uh, since the day Obama came to power. Um, he appointed George Mitchell. Um, Obama very swiftly actually put pressure on Netanyahu to free settlement construction uh, in order to create the climate for moving talks along. And as I say, Obama went to the United Nations and suggested that a Palestinian state could be joining about now. Um, and uh, none of that has happened, as Harriet says. And, and from the Americans' perspective, although they don't like to say this openly, the principal reason is Netanyahu and the Israelis. Um, Netanyahu, despite, um, despite the fact that the U.S. Is, is Israel's closest ally, has actually done nothing from the American perspective, from the administration's perspective, but throw up obstacles. And in fact, publicly humiliate um, Obama on some occasions. Um, and so the view here is that, that you know, the Americans are prepared to wade back in. They've got plenty of ideas, but they don't actually believe that Israel is very receptive to them. He has something to prove, though, doesn't he? People are beginning to question uh, the president's foreign uh, policy acumen. Well, they're questioning him on lots of things. I mean, he does have something to prove, although uh, domestically, this is, a, this is an issue that he just needs to stay safe on. He's, he's facing a lot of pressures domestically. Uh, he's going to struggle for re-election. That's principally because of the economy. Um, and Israel just complicates his life. I mean, it's very unlikely that this issue is going to be resolved before the next American presidential election. And... I think the view of the White House right now is, is that attempting to force Israel uh, down this path um, 
when it doesn't want to go, evidently, um, only makes life uh, more difficult for Obama with a domestic constituency. Um, so I think it's, it's essentially about keeping it neutral. And certainly some of the things that Obama's been saying recently and, and his officials have been saying are about reassuring um, uh, American Jewish voters and those many voters in this country are stored supporters of Israel that he's not going to do anything uh, that is going to offend the Israelis. Brian, just uh, before we go, talk domestically for me. Um, Jonathan Friedland wrote uh, an article in The Guardian this week saying that the, the, British, the British vote should be for, for a yes. Now, does that British vote matter anyway? And what do you think the, the, the British government will do? Well, I, if, if there's an American veto, then it doesn't really count at all. Uh, Symbolically, but, <laughs> it was, though, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, Brit- Britain has, uh, you know, hi- historically Britain has taken, shall we say, a more sympathetic uh, approach to Palestinians than the Americans have. Uh, but when you come down to it, uh, what difference has that actually made on the ground? Harriet, um, will it matter there what Britain does? Um, yes, I do think it does matter um, what Britain does. I mean, I, I think both sides are keen to, um, to, to, to have Britain um, in their camp. So I think, it, I think it's important. And I think it's because, you know, Britain has a, a long history in this part of the world. Um, and uh, lots of Palestinians uh, blame the British for everything that's really um, happened to them for pretty much a century. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it is important. And Chris, in, in, in the States, it's not thought that the uh, Obama administration and the coalition government are particularly close, but um, will he have a, a keen eye on what Britain's doing? Yes, and they've, they've been putting pressure on Britain to, um, at the very least, abstain and, and preferably vote with the Americans, uh, not least because, um, for reasons we said earlier about um, relations with the rest of the Middle East, um, the Americans don't really want to be the only ones um, out there uh, amongst the major powers, the permanent members, uh, vetoing this. And they know that the French, the Russians and the Chinese um, will not vote yes. Um, they are hoping that Britain would vote yes um, so they wouldn't be alone. But um, they are uh, resigned to the fact that that's almost... Um, sorry, well, that Britain would vote no so that they won't be alone in vetoing. But they're resigned to the fact that it, the best they're probably likely to get is, a, uh, is an abstention. Well, they're watching, we're watching, but there we have to leave it. Just a voting prospect, but as we've learned, the repercussions for good or ill could be immense. My thanks to Chris McGreal, Harriet Sherwood and Brown Whitaker, Jonathan Friedland and Mehdi Hassan too. Our producer was Peter Sale. I'm Hugh Muir. Until the next Guardian Focus podcast, goodbye and thanks for listening. great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.